Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. The world is saying to Russia, stop these attacks immediately. Ukrainians need no-fly zone. That means that if Russian planes violate the zone that's declared, we shoot them down. The ban on Russian oil imports in the United States. You can't simply close down oil and gas overnight from Russia. We need to be stepping up production here. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It's News and Views for uh, Monday, a new week. Lots to talk about. And uh, have you been by the gas station recently? Uh, Not a pleasant experience. The uh, average national cost, according to AAA, as of uh, today, March 7th, $4.65. $4.65. Actually, in North Carolina, it's a little less, $3.92. Uh, Pitt County is uh, $3.92. Uh, it's pretty much um, eastern North Carolina is $3.91, $3.92. A couple of places is slightly higher, but uh, eh, you get down to Wilmington, uh, some places are over 4 bucks. So, uh, yeah. Not a pleasant experience. And on Friday, Labor Secretary Marty Walsh, Walsh, I should say, told Fox Business more uh, domestic drilling is not on the table to lower gas prices. And uh, what are they doing about gas prices? Where are they going? Over the weekend, senior Biden administration officials were traveling down to Venezuela uh, what else? I mean, they haven't had anything to do. Our, our government has had nothing to do with Venezuela for the last three years, basically. Suddenly, in the midst of uh, saying, eh, we need to ban Russian oil, are, are we actually going to go down there and beg Maduro for more oil and gas when we have all we need? We could be a energy exporter. I mean, it's pretty obvious that uh, Americans are having buyer's remorse when it comes to Joe Biden. Big-time buyer's remorse. And Joe is being manipulated by a handful of people within Congress that are radical. And you have to ask yourself, I'm sorry, you have to ask yourself, which side is Joe Biden on? So now he's begging another of our enemies that is a despot, Maduro, down in Venezuela. And he's going over to Saudi Arabia, who we know have financed terrorism in the past. And uh, we're begging them for more oil. Why are you humiliating America, Joe? What is it? Why would you... We know you've gotten paid off by foreign governments, you and Hunter. You really need to begin to ask yourself, what side is this guy on? Does he want America to lose? Is it an anti-American thing? Or is it just his personal wealth? In all honesty, you got to ask yourself these questions. What the heck is going on with this guy's thinking? I mean, I, I, I know he's got some cognitive issues, but it, it, it basic right and wrong? It, 
in all honesty, politically speaking, he's committing suicide. The Democrats are committing suicide. Do they really think that not utilizing our natural resources to stop the funding of our enemies? There was a piece, uh, the Epic Times had a piece, uh, which we'll get into in more detail, but our own Representative Greg Murphy talking about the fact that every day that goes by while we're buying Russian oil, we're sending $75 million to fund the Ukrainians' demise. California paying $5.28, about a buck thirty more than we're paying here. And uh, now we're... The, the Biden administration, no more drilling, no more XL pipeline. At what point do we start impeachment? <laughs> At what point do we start impeachment? Buyer's remorse. And listen. President Trump had it right. This is Donald Trump. Back in... 2018, meeting with the head of NATO and basically laying out what will happen if Germany and these other European NATO countries buy from Russia. I mean, it's, you probably remember this as we play it for you. It's about a three-minute piece, but... Now, remember, Joe Biden was the one that said, oh, you got to elect me because I'll go toe to toe with Putin. Now, you got to remember, too, the media, this was just about a month before this audio was recorded. The media was going bonkers because in July of 2018, Donald Trump was asked whether he believed the assessment of U.S. intelligence agencies that the Russians had meddled in the 2016 presidential election. And Trump's response was, I don't see any reason why it would be. President Putin was extremely strong and powerful in his denial today, Trump replied. Um, And yeah, I I think that was an incorrect observation. But the backlash, even from Republicans, was, okay, are all these media reports that uh, Trump is a lackey for the Russians? It must be true. Well, this was recorded about a month later, and it made it pretty clear which side Donald Trump was on. Well, I have to say, I think uh, it's very sad when Germany makes a massive oil and gas deal with Russia, where you're supposed to be guarding against Russia, and Germany goes out and pays billions and billions of dollars a year to Russia. So we're protecting Germany, we're protecting France, we're protecting all of these countries. And then numerous of the countries go out and make a pipeline deal with Russia where they're paying billions of dollars into the coffers of Russia. So we're supposed to protect you against Russia, but they're paying billions of dollars to Russia. And I think that's very inappropriate. And the former chancellor of Germany is the head of the pipeline company that's supplying the gas. Ultimately, Germany will have almost 70 percent of their country controlled by Russia with natural gas. So you tell me, is that appropriate? I mean, I've been complaining about this from the time I got in. It should have never been allowed to have happened. But Germany is totally controlled by Russia. 
because they were getting from 60 to 70 percent of their energy from Russia and a new pipeline. And you tell me if that's appropriate, because I think it's not. And I think it's a very bad thing for NATO, and I don't think it should have happened. And I think we have to talk to Germany about it. On top of that, Germany is just paying a little bit over 1 percent, whereas the United States, in actual numbers, is paying 4.2 percent of a much larger GDP. So I think that's inappropriate also. You know, we're protecting Germany, we're protecting France, we're protecting everybody, and yet we're paying a lot of money to protect. Now, this has been going on for decades. This has been brought up by other presidents, but other presidents never did anything about it because I don't think they understood it or they just didn't want to get involved. But I have to bring it up because I think it's very unfair to our country, it's very unfair to our taxpayer. And I think that these countries have to step it up, not over a 10-year period, they have to step it up immediately. Germany is a rich country. They talk about they're going to increase it a tiny bit by 2030. Well, they could increase it immediately tomorrow and have no problem. I don't think it's fair to the United States. So we're going to have to do something because we're not going to put up with it. We can't put up with it, and it's inappropriate. So. We have to talk about the billions and billions of dollars that's being paid to the country that we're supposed to be protecting you against. Everybody's talking about it all over the world. They'll say, well, wait a minute, we're supposed to be protecting you from Russia, but why are you paying billions of dollars to Russia for energy? Why are countries in NATO, namely Germany, having a large percentage of their energy needs paid you know, to Russia and, and taken care of by Russia? Now, if you look at it, Germany is a captive of Russia because they supply. They get rid of their coal plants. They get rid of their nuclear. They're getting so much of the oil and gas from Russia. I think it's something that NATO has to look at. I think it's very inappropriate. You and I agree that it's inappropriate. I don't know what you can do about it now, but it certainly doesn't seem to make sense that uh, they pay billions of dollars to Russia, and now we have to defend them against Russia. That was Donald Trump back in 2018 at a breakfast meeting. Uh, He was there with Mike Pompeo and others from his administration talking to the NATO General Secretary Stoltenberg breakfast meeting. And uh, interestingly, Stoltenberg just sat there and nodded as if he was in agreement. All that was off the top of Trump's head. I mean, do you think Joe Biden could have given an oratory like that uh, impromptu without any notes, without a teleprompter? Um. Oh, if, oh, if people had just listened to Donald Trump back then. I mean, you, you, you wonder, I mean, and people are speaking, well, I mean, there's morons out there that are actually saying, well, can you imagine how bad it would be if Donald Trump was president? Uh, not as bad as it is right now. In fact, it wouldn't, we wouldn't be there. When you hear what Donald Trump said four years ago at the beginning of his presidency, uh, no. We, we wouldn't be in the situation we're in. And again, I, I'm sorry, and, and maybe this sounds rash, but what side is Joe Biden on? Uh, what side is he on? Does he want the American people to suffer? I mean, interestingly, AOC has come out and said, you know what's happening in Ukraine? You know whose fault it is? It's the imperialistic America's fault and the imperialistic NATO countries. It's their fault. Has Joe bought into the AOC narrative, the extreme socialist narrative? I mean, that's exactly what Putin would be saying. And we've got AOC, a member of Congress, who's saying the same thing. 
I mean, it, it, we're, we're close to a time of war, and what these people would say if we were in the war is treasonous. But Joe, just clueless Joe. I don't know. Is he clueless? Is he clueless or is he uh, on the take? Americans want Joe to stop the slaughter in Ukraine. They want to see the United States home of the greatest military force in the world and the globe, uh, globe's biggest economy uh, to uh, take it to uh, the thug in the Kremlin. A new Reuters poll shows an overwhelming majority, 74% of Americans, supports establishing a no-fly zone over Ukraine. I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, basically, that is an, a declaration of war. I mean, unless we want to take it that far, it's not going to happen. Banning U.S. imports of Russia, 80% are for that. Even Nancy Pelosi's for that. And imposing further penalties on the Russian economy, 81%. So pretty heavy duty. But again, okay, if let, let's, yes, absolutely let's ban imports from Russia. But let's not go to Venezuela. Let's not go to Saudi Arabia. Pump American oil. I said at the beginning, this very well might be Biden's Waterloo. Rasmussen reports that Biden and Democrats are facing political extinction. Uh, Is there a silver lining to all this? I guess this is it. Political extinction if they do not change course with their anti-oil and gas energy agenda. The latest Rasmussen reports national telephone and online survey finds that 70% of likely U.S. voters believe the U.S. government should encourage increased oil and gas production to reduce America's dependence on foreign sources of oil and gas. Only 18% oppose the policy of encouraging U.S. energy independence. 12% are not sure. A dive into the numbers show Biden's efforts to force Americans into an alternative energy transition while the cost of oil tops $125 per barrel. I remember just a couple of years ago under Trump, it was down to, I think, what, down in the high 30s or $40 a barrel. And now we're looking at $200 a barrel, not too far down the road. Meanwhile, it's clear the administration understands oil consumption is critical to keeping the U.S. economy on track. As a uh, way to maintain a facade of clean energy, Biden is looking to U.S. adversaries like Iran, Russia, and Venezuela for oil production. And again, the the oil we're getting from Russia is not clean oil. <laughs> I mean, that's that's why you know these people are insincere. I mean, they don't look at the they look at this high energy cost. These the woke crowd looks at these high energy costs as a bonus to their cause that people will, will, oh, will immediately fall in love with wind energy and solar energy because, well, listen, how about, how about natural gas? That's our biggest energy resource in America. Go after that. That's clean energy. But no, I mean, a part of it is they have bought into this woke environmentalist agenda but part of this is sincerely they want America to fail. They've got it somewhere in the back of their mind that America is an evil nation and we deserve all the negative things that could possibly happen to us. It's, it's payback. 
It's reparations for our evil past. Look, I know America, I know the United States has not been a perfect nation by any means. I'm not saying it has been. But uh, look around to the rest of the world, and uh, we've got a pretty good track record. I'm not ashamed of it. Speaking of Jen Psaki, she has uh, a very difficult job. Everyone would agree she's got a difficult job. I mean, trying to sell Joe Biden as a solid, coherent leader, that's tough enough. Trying to remember what lie you have told each day for the past year and worrying about tripping over one of those lies, that's not easy. And sometimes it's hard to tell if she is deliberately lying to the American people or if she's living in an alternative universe and actually believes the manure she's shoveling. Case in point, in response to a question about John Bolton's bizarre speculation that Trump might have pulled out of the the United States out of NATO in a second term, why would we think that? Why did John Bolton say that? I mean, I... I used to respect John Bolton when he came out with that bizarre speculation. I mean, Trump was hard on NATO because NATO, rightly so, needed to be paying their fair share, as you just heard in that clip we played for you. So at a press conference, Saki is asked about John Bolton's bizarre speculation that Trump would have pulled the U.S. out of NATO Saki claimed that American people are grateful for Biden's different approach to foreign relations. Cut to. You know, another reason why the American people are uh, grateful, the majority of the American people, that President Biden has not taken a page out of his predecessor's playbook as it relates to global engagement and global leadership, because certainly we could be in a different place. <laughs> Hello. Uh, yeah, I think we would be in a different place, Jen. I, 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 I oh my! Are, are you? Are, is that a? Are you tipping your hat to Donald Trump and giving the finger to Joe, or vice versa? I, <laughs> we most certainly would be in a different place if Biden uh, would have shown strength and resolve like Trump did. And uh, of course, last week, um, she basically did a similar misstep. She said, you know, I was at the State Department. The president was the vice president then. That was the last time Russia invaded Ukraine. This uh, is a pattern of horror from President Putin and from the cronies around him. Yes. (laughs) Every Every time Obama and Biden have been in the White House, we see a Russia being aggressive, declaring war, invading peaceful nations. Yeah, we most certainly would have been in a different place, Jen. Thank you for that brilliant comment. Every now and then, these Democrats accidentally speak the truth. You know, they get confused and it somehow comes spilling out. I mean, you know, that's, that's just a truism of life. The truth rises to the top. And even those that are trying to suppress it every now and then just trip and spill it out. And stay with us. More news and views coming right up. These are dark times. Just like the other day, I stubbed my toe on the bed because it was so dark. 
the toenail. It turned black and blue. I think it's gonna, it's gonna fall off. Saturday night, we spring ahead. We must choose light over darkness for the safety of all Americans and, and, for, and, and for their toes. And shine light on the news of the day. Look, no, really, look at my toe. That's gross, man. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome back in. Yes, remember, spring ahead uh, come Saturday night. Let's take a look at your weather forecast. Here's Zoe Mens from Storm Team 9. Good afternoon and happy Monday, Eastern North Carolina. It is another warm day ahead of us. Temperatures this afternoon getting into the mid-80s and mostly sunny skies, along with a strong southwesterly breeze gusting upwards of 30 to 40 miles an hour. So hold on to your hats heading out the door, but enjoy all of the sunshine and heat today while you can because a big cool down and a lot of unsettled weather pushes in tomorrow and continues throughout the rest of the work week. I'm Storm Team 9 meteorologist Zoe Mintz for Talk 96.3 and 103.7, where Eastern North Carolina comes to talk and in fact we've got a 60 percent chance of rain tonight so uh, if you got any lawn furniture out there you better bring it in today march 7th 2022 is national cereal day 125 years ago today dr john kellogg served the world's first cornflakes to his patients at a mental hospital <laughs> Interesting that he would test it on them, but now everybody eats cornflakes. Interesting story on Fox News today. A Russian military commander and prisoner of war in Ukraine said he and his forces were led to believe they were invading Ukraine because nationalist Nazis had seized power. Now, interestingly, Jonathan Turley who is a legal analyst um, at George Washington University, questioned the use by Ukraine of images of prisoners of war and, you know, did this violate the Geneva Conventions? Now, right now, with with what Russia is doing, I don't think there's going to be a lot of people that will uh, play the violin for these Russians. But it's interesting, if you go to Fox News... You can hear the audio. Now, I'm not going to play the audio because it's all in Russians, uh, Russian, and you have to read the subtitles. But this Lieutenant Colonel Mikhailovich seemed very, very sincere as he was uh, talking to the cameras. It did not look scripted at all. He and two other prisoners were there. And um, now, obviously... Ukraine is using this for propaganda purposes. I don't necessarily blame them. But what he said was, we were lied to. And he was apologizing to the Ukrainian people. He also said, whatever we get in terms of jail time or punishment for doing what we have done, we deserve. And then he also started talking about soldiers refusing the orders of your superiors. And again, I, I, I'm, I'm not saying this wasn't under duress and the Ukrainians didn't ask him to do this. But in all honesty, it seemed like he was saying a lot more than he had to say. Now, perhaps they said the better job you do at convincing your comrades, uh, the easier we'll go on you. I don't know. But uh, in, indeed, his comments were... And it sort of it sort of goes hand in hand with what Putin has been saying 
about uh, those people in uh, charge of Ukraine is that these are Nazis and that we need to clean these Nazis out because they are committing, I mean, Putin said they were committing genocide against Russian citizens in Ukraine. Well, this guy, this guy made it pretty clear that uh, that's, that was the line that they were fed. Uh, again, uh, is Jonathan Turley right? Does this go against the Geneva Convention? Well, that seems like it's a matter of fact that it was improper for Ukraine to uh, videotape and use these prisoners. But Again, I don't think they're going to get a lot of, uh, I don't think Russia is going to get a lot of empathy and sympathy over this. And I don't think uh, Ukraine is going to be scolded too, uh, too harshly over this. It, it, it is interesting, though, the number of uh, casualties you hear. Now they're talking about more than 800 civilians in Ukraine have been killed. But they're also talking about somewhere between ten and 12,000 Russian soldiers, Russian troops have lost their lives. And, and again, this convoy continues just to sit there north of Kiev. And all, all you have is speculation. I mean, even the uppity ups, I mean, there's just speculation. What are you waiting for? I mean, another speculation, I mean, I, you have to, among other things, I mean, you can, you can have a lot of analytical rationale of why it's not working for the Russians. I, at, the, at the end of the day, you've got to come back and say, this has got to be divine intervention. It also is uh, another great example as <laughs> when the government's in charge, whether you're a socialist or a capitalist, when you, when you have the government in charge, not the private sector in charge, making the decisions and operating, it's, uh, it usually doesn't turn out well, even if you're Russian. But... Uh, the, the, the Air Force, the Russian Air Force, not having a real good track record. The convoy just sitting there. We'll continue to watch it. More than 30 House Republicans are urging Joe Biden to end COVID-19 vaccine mandates for truckers and agricultural workers coming across the U.S. border, warning that the mandates risk having a catastrophic effect on the supply chain crisis. The Department of Homeland Security in January began requiring non-U.S. citizens coming across the border via ports of entry to show proof of vaccination against COVID-19. That includes truck drivers and workers coming across on temporary agricultural worker visas. Now, if you're an illegal immigrant coming across, don't worry about it. You're fine. You don't have to worry about being vaccinated. But if you're legally coming across to work or to help with the supply chain, uh, you will be stopped at the border and checked to make sure you're vaccinated. Uh, while cities across the country, including those with vaccine mandates, have started rolling back COVID-19 restrictions, there are no signs that it will be relaxed at the border. Again, another great example of how Joe Biden and the lefties are crippling America. In a letter to the Secretary of Homeland Security, Mayorkas, 36 lawmakers led by Ralph Norman of South Carolina point out the ongoing supply chain crisis and the worker shortage. Now that these workers are required to be fully vaccinated to enter the United States, we have heard from numerous farmers and constituents who worry about these new vaccination requirements. They're de delaying and will continue to delay the arrival of agricultural workers this year. These limitations and delays 
have a catastrophic impact on our already fragile economy. They uh, raise food prices. They raise all the prices. Uh, again, does Joe Biden give a damn? Pardon me, blunt my bluntness, but I, I it, it's does he care? Doesn't seem like it. Doesn't seem like it. More more concerned with AOC and the Greenies than he is about American families being able to make ends meet, put gas in the car, and food on the table. By the way, speaking of COVID. Today, Florida Surgeon General Joseph Latibo announced healthy children should not be vaccinated for the Wuhan coronavirus. Florida is going to be the first state to officially recommend against COVID-19 vaccine for healthy children, the doctor said during a roundtable. When asked about the decision at the White House daily briefing, Jen Psaki launched into a verbal attack on the doctor, calling him a politician and a conspiracy theorist. Interestingly, Dr. Latibo is a Harvard-educated doctor with extensive medical experience. Ron DeSantis highlighted Latibo's biography when he appointed him as Florida's Surgeon General in September of 2021. By the way, the good doctor is black. He's African-American. Uh, Joseph Latibo, MD, PhD, is a physician and healthy policy researcher whose primary research interests include clinical trial interventions and reducing the population burden of cardiovascular disease. Dr. Latibo was recently granted a professorship at the University of Florida College of Medicine prior to joining uh, the University of Florida. He was an associate professor at the David Giffen School of Medicine caring for hospitalized patients. Previously, he served as a faculty member for the Department of Population and Health at New York uh, University School of Medicine and staff fellow of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. And uh, his, his credentials go on and on and on and on and on. Um, for Jen Psaki, who has no medical expertise at all, to push the mandate over experts like this Surgeon General is beyond the pale. But beyond that, the howls of racism that you would hear if the press secretary for Donald Trump were to dare discredit an African-American Surgeon General for a state that was a Democrat— uh, you you could hear the house, you can hear the house right now, that that the Trump administration, the Trump administration press secretary to to question the credentials of an African American that happened to be a Democrat and a liberal at that. <laughs> Heaven forbid that ever happened. We've got to take another time out. We come back, uh, take a look at some state politics. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
This is your Drive at 5, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Town Hall is reporting, and this will drive uh, the AOCs of Congress nuts. Greenies are not going to like this. Citizens of Lithuania are taking advantage of the country's relatively relaxed gun laws. They're buying firearms in droves in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Sales have shot up for all categories of weapons, but the largest demand is for handguns used in self-defense and semi-automatic weapons that could also be used in military situations. Some stores have reported selling as many handguns in a week as during the preceding year. Yeah, you heard that right. As many in a week as they did all of last year. Many stores also report that they have run out of military-style gear, such as night vision, thermal vision equipment, flak jackets, tactical clothes. Um, uh, Now, they've got more uh, guns and ammunition coming in, but the stores are selling out, as you can imagine. When you sell as much in a week as you did all of last year, yeah. Now, you know, I know Libs think uh, Americans shouldn't have any guns in their possessions. This is why we have the right to bear arms. I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons why. I mean, to to protect ourselves against thugs on the street, but to protect ourselves from uh, enemies domestic and abroad. And uh, you know what? Lithuania is saying, the citizens there looking around and saying, hmm. Bottom line is, you know, people look back on World War II and they say, well, you know, we didn't, uh, the, the Nazis didn't invade Switzerland because it was a neutral country. No, they didn't invade Switzerland because every Swiss family had arms. It was part of their law. You had to have a firearm. You had to know how to use it. That's why Germany didn't go into Switzerland. Carolina Journal and Dallas Woodhouse, interesting uh, article, several interesting articles uh, concerning uh, state politics. Now, it's interesting. The Democrats demanded that we go back and redraw the maps. State House, state Senate. And they did. And the Democrats then, you know, once they were redrawn, they took them back to the Supreme Court and said, uh, well, at first it went to the Superior Court. And they said, uh, you know, we don't like them again. They're not good enough for us again. And we need to redraw them again. And the Supreme Court upheld the Superior Court. And they said, no, for the State House and the State Senate maps, they're, they're good to go. Now, of course, they did change the congressional maps. And uh, we are seeing an appeal to the United States Supreme Court. But interestingly, the Democrats, all the fuss they made over these maps, they can't get anybody to run. Democrats' lackluster candidate recruitment effort is a stunning development after the Democratic aligned groups successfully stewed the legislature over redistricting maps. Republicans were forced to make significant changes to the legislative maps, says the Carolina Journal. Dallas Woodhouse. In the end, the Democrat-controlled state Supreme Court certified the new legislative maps as fair on partisan and racial grounds. Go back two years. December 20th, 2019, the North Carolina Democratic Party sent out a press release announcing, quote, 
At the close of filing, Democrats have candidates in 50 of the 50 Senate districts and 119 of the 120 House districts. While Democrats proudly announced candidates in 169 of 170 electoral contests for the 2020 election, this year's press release was quite different. On March 4th, just last week, the North Carolina Democratic Party released a trumpeted filing, quote, 60 women and 75 candidates of color and the most LGBTQ plus candidates in history. And that's what they're bragging about. However, the North Carolina Democratic Party released, uh, made no mention of their overall recruiting totals. This year, Democrats across the state have stepped up to represent their neighbors in Raleigh as a part of as a party, we know our diversity is our strength, which is why I am thrilled candidates from so many different backgrounds have chosen to declare their candidacy, said North Carolina Democratic Party Chair Bobby Richardson. No relationship to the baseball player. While Democrats announced candidates in the 169 of the 170 races for 2020, they only filed 129 legislative seats this year. Democrats will contest 40 fewer races this year than they did two years ago. Republicans filed a total of 160 candidates for 2022. That's up one from 2020. In the North Carolina House of Representatives, the Republicans will present candidates in 111 of 120 races. That's 92.5%. Democrats are contesting 92 of the 120 races. That's 76.6%. Director of Republican House Campaign Stephen Wiley tweeted, Last cycle, North Carolina House Democrats filed 116 of 120, while North Carolina Republicans got 110. Every Democrat voted this year against delaying the primary, which would have given them more time to recruit. In the end, they ended up with 92. The Republicans ended up with 111. Oops. The result is, at the close of filing, House Republicans have already won 28 seats. Democrats have won nine. Democrats failed to land a candidate to challenge House Majority Leader John Bell of Wayne County. And uh, John Locke rates this as a toss-up. Now, granted, you'd be going against John Bell, who's an incumbent, but still, it's a toss-up. They couldn't get anybody to run. The GOP advantage in the North Carolina Senate was even more dramatic Republicans filed in 49 of 50 races, 98%. Democrats in 37 of 50, 74%. Republicans begin the campaign with having secured 13 Senate seats, while the Democrats secure just one. So going in, of the 50 races, the Republicans have already won 13. In total, Republicans filed in 160 of the 170 legislative contest, while Democrats filed in 129, Republicans 94%, Democrats 76%, with fewer, uh, with 41 fewer races contested by the Democrats, Republicans will conserve campaign funds and direct them to more difficult races to obtain a veto-proof supermajority in the Senate. They would need 30 um, out of 50 for veto-proof, which is interesting. I mean, they've already got 13. So uh, not quite halfway there, but already got 13. They only need 30 in the Senate. In the House, they need 72. What I say they had in the uh, House uh, already, they had um, 
Uh, I don't see the number here, but they already have a bunch already in the house. So um, all in all, the fuss they made over the maps, they can't even get anybody to run. <laughs> we got to take another time out. When we get back, we will take a look at uh, the North Carolina Supreme Court. That's an interesting uh, study as well. Got some new names in there. Talk about them when we get back. Back to News and Views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Talking about state politics. Another story out of the Carolina Journal is talking about the uh, upcoming Supreme Court races. There's two seats open, seat five and seat three. The uh, current seat uh, five is held by uh, Sam Irvin. Oh, Sam Irvin. Jimmy Irvin, who is Sam Irvin's uh, grandson. Uh, Republican Victoria Prince of Greensboro has filed to run for that seat. And uh, that is a new entry, last minute entry into that race. Republicans Trey Allen and appeals court judge April Wood are also Republicans running for that race. Um, Jimmy Irvin doesn't have any opposition in his primary. The um, Trey Allen is a UNC. I, I would have to say that looking at the candidates, I'm, I'm sure they're all solid candidates. Uh, Wood was elected to the appeals court as a Republican in 2020. She's now running for the Supreme Court. Um, Trey Allen is uh, a UNC Chapel Hill School of Government professor and general counsel at the State Administrative Office of the Courts. He is a former clerk for the current Chief Justice Paul Newby. And uh, Allen began his legal career as a judge advocate in the U.S. Marine Corps. He spent, or corpse if you're uh, Obama, he spent most of his time in the Marines overseas, and his military service included a deployment to Iraq during the Operation Iraqi Freedom. As Chief Justice, Newby oversees the entire state court system through the administrative office of the courts. He appointed Allen to serve as the office's general counsel. While Newby cannot and will not directly endorse Allen, when you're appointed by the Chief Justice to represent his legal position as head of the judicial branch, there is an implied uh, endorsement, and it's pretty strong. Um, according to her online profile, Victoria Prince of Greenboro, uh, Greensboro is an attorney with Penry, Terry, and Mitchell Law Firm out of Lexington, she really doesn't have any information up yet. Again, she just filed, so I'm, I'm giving her giving her a break. It was probably a last minute decision, so she doesn't have any website or Twitter or anything like that. I'm sure she will as time goes on. And the other Supreme Court race, seat three, uh, being vacated by uh, Justice Robin Hudson, who has to retire because of her age. Republican Richard Diaz and Dem um, and Democrat Lucy Enman will face off for the seat. Uh, Diaz and Inman are both justices on the North Carolina Court of Appeals. Diaz announced his intention to run for the Supreme Court earlier this year. Diaz joined the uh, Court of Appeals in 2014. Diaz is known as a conservative intellectual with a record of conservative jurisprudence, but with a unique ability to develop a consensus on the court. In total, two Supreme Court races will be on the ballot as long as the um, 
they're also four in the Court of Appeals. But as long as Republicans take one of the two Supreme Court races, they will will, um, have the majority on the Supreme Court. And again, these are statewide races. So even though there's two seats, seat three and seat five, they're both statewide races. So all in all, I think there's a pretty good chance. And again, this, you know, the last election we had where we elected Supreme Court justices, I believe that was the first election that we had the D and the R back on the ballot. And as a result, Republicans did very well. In fact, I think they won all of the judicial races, the state judicial races. So that bodes well for Republicans. The other thing that bodes well for Republicans is the fact that uh, many North Carolinians are pretty uh, disappointed with how the North Carolina Supreme Court decided that they would usurp the North Carolina legislature and uh, decide that they would draw the maps, which clearly is a violation of both the federal constitution as well as the state constitution. Quickly, um, as we look at uh, several of the congressional districts, interesting to note that North Carolina's District 1, which, you know, for a while there we thought it was going to be a toss-up district, it is now a D plus 9, which means it leans 45% Democrats, uh, 54% Democrats, I should say, 45% Republicans, um, covers much of... uh, from the Triangle North and over to the Rocky Mount area, includes uh, Green, Halifax, parts of Pitt County, um, parts of Wilson, Washington, Northampton, Pasquotank, Perquimans, 54% Democrat, 45% Republican, um, Julian Bishop, Jason Albert Spriggs, Don Davis, Senator Don Davis, and Erica Smith are running as Democrats. A bunch of Republicans running, Brent Brent Robinson, Sandy Robertson, Brad Murphy, Ernest Reeves, Henry Williams II, Billy Strickland, Will Aiken, and, of course, Sandy Smith, who ran last time. Uh, Another district to look at is uh, District 3, which is the district that uh, Greg Murphy currently is in. By the way, Greg Murphy is going to be with us on uh, Wednesday afternoon. The uh, third district includes much of uh, Beaufort, Camden, Carteret, Craven, Currituck, Dare, Duplin, Hyde, Jones, Lenore, Onslow, Pamlico, Pitt, Sampson, and Wayne counties. Uh, it is considered a safe district, plus 24, R plus 24. Uh, in addition to Murphy running as Republicans, you have George Papistrit, uh, Eric uh, Earhart, Tony Calden, Brian Friend as Republicans, Joe Swartz and Barbara Gaskins are running as the, the for the Democratic nomination. I think that's pretty safe for Greg Murphy. Um, Another interesting district is District 7, which is a southern part of our listening area. That is a plus 11 district. That is the uh, uh, district that David Rouser currently represents. And uh, again, Republicans uh, have the favor in that one, 55 to 44 percent. There are a bunch of Democrats running, and David Rouser has some competition in the primary. Max Southworth Beckwith is uh, running against David Rouser. Uh, Other interesting uh, districts in the state include um, the new district over in uh, District 13, which covers Johnson, Southern Wake. And what's interesting about that, that is considered a toss-up district. But Renee Renee Elmers, who was a uh, 
congresswoman up in Washington a couple years back is running for re-election in that district. And uh, another interesting district is uh, District uh, 14. But we're out of time. <laughs> we'll go over this down the road. And thanks for being with us, and uh, have a great night. The rain is coming, so uh, prepare yourself. We'll do it again tomorrow at 5 o'clock. We'll see you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.